let's look at the first Peter chapter three. Uh, we're going to be in verses eight through 22 and, uh, we will not finish this, uh, obviously, but, uh, remember we said that, uh, the fourth imperative, which was found in chapter four, verse one and two, I said that the fourth imperative is a hinge imperative and this commandment of which there are seven foundational ones in this book, this fourth imperative is a hinge that causes us to look back at the first three, and it causes us always to look also to look forward to the fifth, sixth, and the seventh one. And we talked about that in great detail last week, And uh, but it is an imperative that called upon us to arm ourselves, a military term, to set our minds and our hearts and our attitude and an attitude toward Christ and arm ourselves uh, in, in our flesh uh, that we would not, that we would cease from sin and we would do the will of God. And we talked about that in great detail last week. So I really want to get to the doctrine to which this imperative is based upon. And that doctrine starts in chapter 3, 1 Peter, verse 8. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 22, if you'll bear with me. We're going to look at the doctrine behind the imperative that we discussed uh, last week. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be humble or courteous. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, knowing that you were called to do this that you may inherit a blessing. For all who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you do suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. And don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled by them, but set apart the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear. Have a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ will be ashamed. For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than to do evil. And now the difficult text. For Christ also suffered once for us, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is This is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the flesh or the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So here we have this doctrine that's going to be the cause effect of our obedience to Christ in the imperative. So as we look at this, I want to break this up into three different sections. 
I'm going to go through this first section pretty hurriedly because we are aware of it. We've been taught this, easy to understand. The second section uh, will be uh, a little more difficult, and then the third section is going to be uh, very hairy, as I like to say. And so we'll look and see uh, what uh, Christ would tell us through this text. But the first section is, is going to be verses 8. Uh, through 12, and it is going to be entitled, Be of One Mind. So one of the things that Christ is calling us to do as he commands us to arm ourselves with his mind that we may cease from sin is this doctrine of love. Look at verse 8. We see this, all of you be of one mind, and that be of one mind is like the mind of Christ. And we talked about that mind last week that we can know his mind, we're indwelt by his spirit, Uh, we have his word, we know what he thinks, we know how he would act, we know how he reacts, and so we do have an understanding of the mind of Christ. Scripture tells us that we have the mind of Christ. So, uh, So when it says be of one mind, obviously he's talking have the same mind that Christ had, have a humble mind, a submissive mind. Uh, an obedient mind, and so we know what that means. But it says, uh, "Have one, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers." The word "love" here is the word, you know, in Scripture, uh, love in the Greek. There are four primary words for love in Greek. We, we're familiar with uh, agape love, which is God's love sourced in God. There's a uh, there is a uh, brotherly love, which is what this text is. It says love is brothers. The word is phileo love, and we're to love each other as brothers. We are to be kind to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to respect one another. Uh, remember when we did the book of John, when Jesus was questioning Peter uh, after he rose from the dead, he said, do you agape love each Love me, and Peter said, you know, I phileo love you. I love you like a brother, and so we discussed that, those of you who were with me in John. So this is the uh, phileo love, and so uh, uh, Peter is telling us through the Spirit that we are to love each other as brothers. We are to be kind to each other, and it says to have compassion for one another. That word compassion uh, comes from the Greek word, which we get the word sympathy for, and the word is uh, sympathous. Uh, if I pronounce that correctly, and it speaks to the unity. And I, I just want to commend you, the church, for the unity that we've experienced together uh, during this time of COVID. Uh, Terry often speaks of this. Uh, we appreciate you guys, but uh, we demonstrate in our church a phileo love, a brotherly love. Uh, so this word speaks of unity. It speaks of loyalty both to one another and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, it, it means that we think and feel alike. Now, we all have differences. We all have our particular uh, uh uh, personalities and types, but this means that we have the same mind one another and we react toward each other biblically. We act toward each other in love. It speaks of a relationship uh, that whatever affects me affects you. And that's what scripture tells us to do. If, if Sally is hurting or if Russell is having a heart attack or if Gene's having a heart attack, we weep and we mourn and we pray and we love these people. 
our brothers. And so when it means that we're compassionate to one another, uh, what affects me affects you. And conversely, uh, it, 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 it's a warning to us that if we are affecting each other in that way, that our sin affects each other also. So if I fall into some sin, that affects not only me, it affects my family, but it affects everybody in the church. So this, this is both a positive and a negative connotation that our sympathies toward each other, uh, should, should pursue us and, and cause us to love each other, but it also should warn us that our sin affects each other. So uh, as we're sympathetic, let's remember there's a positive and a negative. And it means that we look out for others' interests uh, and we show preference to others. And some synonyms would be pity. And that's a word that means not only uh, sympathizing with, but it's, it means to actually take action to help. So just as it tells us in Psalm 103, which Terry preached on, it's, I guess now it's been two months ago, that there's a father pities children. So we're to pity one another. That word means that we're to not only see a need, but to minister to that need. And we're not just to say, oh, well, I see that uh, Gene's had a heart attack. Well, God bless him and we'll pray for you. But it's actually to do what you can and all you can do to to come alongside Gene and encourage Gene and to not only just pray for him, but to, to, to find out what else you can do to encourage him. So that's what pity means. And we're to have a, an for people. Uh, we may not be able to, the word empathy uh, means to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. We may not be able to do that uh, specifically, but we are to have a, an empathy toward them nonetheless. Uh, we're to have a commiseration together and we're to, uh, and we're to have condolences for one another as we form, uh, express, uh, uh, as we formally uh, pray for uh, grief or some other situation. So scripture says we're to be of one mind, we're to have compassion for one another, and we're to love uh, love each other as brothers. And obviously that is then demonstrated by verses uh, 9 through 11, and we see the demonstration. Scripture is very clear that uh, uh, if you'll turn with me to First John, uh, this demonstration of our compassion uh, must be tangible. Uh, it's not enough to say, well, God bless you and, and be blessed, but it's, but it's another thing that we must, must demonstrate that we love one another. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John, uh, chapter 3. Uh, go over a couple of books to 1 John, chapter 3, and we're fixing to look at a section that's going to be the, the actual demonstration of our Phileo love for each other as we're of one mind together. Look at uh, 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The answer is it doesn't. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth. And that assures our hearts before him. And if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So the evidence 
that we love one another and we're sympathetic and we're compassionate is 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 evident in our in the way we demonstrate uh, our love to each other and that needs to be tangible so turn with me back to first peter as we look at this uh, how it's demonstrated uh, the evidence of the reality must be present and so uh, we look at that and, and it's just a, a list of things I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it because we're very familiar with it, but it says uh, uh, that we're to be tender-hearted. The word tender-hearted really literally means that we are to uh, take action towards. Everybody knows Ephesians 4:32: "Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you." So, a tangible evidence of our love for one another is that we're tender-hearted to one another, and we actually pity one another. Is the word. The next one is that we're courteous. Uh, in the uh, the Greek, literally, it means to be humble toward each other. It means to put each other's needs before our own, to esteem others more importantly than ourselves. That we ourselves aren't puffed up with who we are and who we think we are, that we are concerned about the needs of our brothers in Christ, and we're there to love them, uh, if necessary, to rebuke them. But all these are part of being humble toward our brothers and preferring them over ourselves. And we're going to see that in the uh, fifth imperative. Uh, if, you'll, if you'll get over, and we'll preview this for a couple of weeks down the road, First Peter 5, 6. Uh, the fifth imperative, the seventh imperative is that we would humble ourselves. First Peter five, six, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then we humble ourselves. He's going to exalt us in due season as we cast our cares on him, knowing he cares for us. So uh, the, the tangible evidence of our love for one another is that we are humble toward each other. Uh, moving right along uh, in verse, uh, Verse nine: We are not to uh, we are not to be vengeful. Uh, we're not to return evil for evil or reviling for reviving. We're to model Christ. Remember that when he was suffering at the hands of Pontius Pilate, when he was beaten and he was spit upon and he was falsely accused, he did not take vengeance. He did not revile, insult those that insulted him. And so we as Christ's little Christians, Christ's little Christ, we're to have that same mindset that we're not to seek our own restitution. We're not to seek our own vengeance. We're to understand that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and he's going to recompense our enemies, but we are to love one another. We're even to love our enemies. And so that is uh, uh, replete throughout the scriptures. If you'll turn back to first uh, Peter 2.23, uh, this is a, a direct quote that he's already talked about as we talked about the second imperative, uh, talking about Christ, uh, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But what he did and what we need to do is he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what we're to do in our dealings with one another. And there's many other verses. If you're writing these down, you can look at uh, Matthew 5, 44 through 48. Uh, you can look at Proverbs 17, 13. Uh, you can look at 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 12 and 13. Just to give you some other resources that will come along and dovetail along with this verse to support this teaching that we are to uh, 
not be vengeful or to seek restitution. But we are to do this. All of these have been negatives that we're not supposed to do one toward another. Uh, but then it says at the end of verse 9, but on the contrary, in opposition to these negatives that we're not supposed to, we're supposed to do this positive, and we are to bless one another. Uh, what does it mean to bless one another? Anybody, uh, we are called to bless one another. What does that mean? Everybody's on. Any comments? What does it mean that we are to bless one another? How do we do that? Any ideas? Pray for them. Pray for them. Excellent. Yes. The but word is encourage them. Encourage. Love them. Yes, right. Excellent. What else? The word bless. The word bless. Like, pardon me. But coming alongside someone, both in the good days and bad. Excellent. That's what Barnabas was. He was an encourager. And many of you in our church are encouragers. And uh, Terry appreciates that. Uh, all of us elders appreciate that. Uh, all the many evidences that you come alongside us. And you do bless us by that. The word in the Greek is eulogio. And where do we get the, what English word do we get out of that Greek word, eulogio? Eulogy. Eulogy. So when we give a eulogy, we're not preaching or praying people into heaven, but we're encouraging them and we are, we are telling forth their lives if they were in Christ to encourage one another. So when, so when you bless people, you are, you are literally giving a eulogy towards them and you are praising them and you're encouraging them and you're praying for them. You're working with them. You're coming alongside them. So scripture says that we are to bless one another and, uh, and uh, why do we bless? Look what it says. You're called to do this. You're called to bless. This word call, we've talked about it a thousand times in this church, in John and in Romans. Uh, we have been internally summoned by the king with this effectual, irresistible call, and we are called to bless our brothers in Christ. It's not an option. It's an imperative. It's part of who we are. It's what Christ did. So, uh, why do we bless people? Because we were called to bless people. We were commanded to bless. It is part of who we are in Christ. It's the same mindset that Christ had. So when you uh, think about how you can bless your fellow congregates while we're in COVID, uh, if we see each other at 11, and those of you who can't, uh, we understand. But how can we bless each other? We do it through texting. We do it through prayers. We do it through phone calls. Some of you send out the most wonderful, sweet letters and notes. That's how we bless each other and we encourage each other. We were called to do this. And uh, and uh, uh, the good part is, and this is not the primary motivation, but we are going to inherit a blessing ourselves. And so this is reward for faithfulness. Uh, it doesn't earn our salvation. It doesn't in any way merit our salvation, but it gives evidence of our salvation. And we will be rewarded for that. And one day we ourselves will be, in, will inherit uh, many blessings. And we talked about that in chapter one, as we talked about our inheritance of Christ. Let me remind you of that again. Uh, can't let this go. It's first Peter. One, and we talked about this. Uh, look at verse three through five. Just wanted to encourage you again and, and bless you again with this verse. This is the blessing 
of inheritance that we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his abundant mercy, he's begotten us to a living hope to the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance. This is the inheritance Peter's talking about. To an inheritance. This inheritance that we have as his children is incorruptible. It is undefiled and it will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for us. And we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And one day it will be revealed. One day we will no longer have to apprehend by faith, but we will apprehend by faith. We will see the promises that we haven't seen before, and we'll see the heavenly Jerusalem, which we can only uh, uh, apprehend by faith now. So that's what we're, that's how we're supposed to act. Uh, that is what we're supposed to do. And then in uh, 9 through 12, this is a quote from uh, Psalm. Psalm 34, verses 9 through 12. I've read it. I'm not going to read it again for time. But what Peter goes on to, goes on to say is that the demonstration of who we are in Christ is not only how we treat our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we bless them, but it's also how we live our lives. And in verse uh, uh, verse uh, 10, it says, He who would love life and see good days... The uh, first thing he talks about is is our mouth, the way we speak. Uh, if you want to love life and see good days and be and give evidence that you're in Christ, one of the ways we do this, and the primary way we do this, because Scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. This just dovetails that he that would refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So the way we speak is. And we adhere to the moral law. This the way we speak demonstrates what's in our heart. And it demonstrates that we love our neighbor as ourself and we love our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. So uh, Peter says that the, 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 uh, the manifestation and the evidence that we're in Christ is the way we live our life and the way we speak is primary. And then it says, uh, uh, verse 11, to turn away from evil and do good. Well, that's the definition of repentance. And so our lives need to be characterized by people that are repentant and live repentant lives. Uh, lives and hearts and minds and attitudes and wills and desires and thinking that's been changed by the work of Christ. And so we're to live repentant lives. We're to, uh, and this should be done daily as we, as we sin. We're to confess that sin and restore that relationship with our Lord and Savior. And we're to be, remember last week I talked about we're to, uh, to guard and cease from sin. And I made this silly illustration. Uh, if you know the little video game where the, the gophers pop up and you've got this club and you're supposed to hit these gophers every time they pop up. And so this is sort of a silly example, a visual example of what we're to do to sin. When we sin, we're to, we're to, we're to vigorously and aggressively attack that sin, confess that sin, acknowledge it, and not let it fester, and not let it become a an unrepentant sin that we're winking at or we're trying to cover up. So uh, when Scripture says we're to repent, it's a lifestyle. Uh, we were saved from from evil to do good works. That's what repentance is in First Thessalonians one nine. So Peter encourages us. As we uh, uh, deal with one another and we deal with uh, and, and what comes out of our 
heart should be of the mind of Christ. And then lastly, uh, Peter says that uh, in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, uh, and those whose lives are characterized by righteousness, and his ears are open to their prayers. And so just want to encourage you uh, in your prayer life is to be aware of it. The scripture, I told you this, I did a meditation on this and many weeks ago now, but one of my favorite scriptures is Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro upon the whole earth, looking to strongly support those whose hearts are totally devoted to him. And so this is a, this is going to be uh, proof in the pudding, I like to call it, uh, uh, that your lives are right before God, that you are uh, living obedient lives. Uh, do, does God answer your prayers? And if you're praying in his will, if you're praying in his name, if you are praying uh, as you live a life consistent and obedient to him, uh, he answers our prayers. And so scripture says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and her ears are open to their prayers. And just a, a challenge to me and a challenge to you. Uh, scripture also says there's always a positive and a negative in the scripture. Scripture also tells us in Psalm 66:18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. And so that means if I wink at sin, if I cover it up, if I say, oh, it's just a lust problem, it's a personal problem, it's a preference that I have, nobody else is going to know about it. If I were to have that mindset, I would give evidence that I'm not right with him and, and my prayers would be hindered. And you can fill in the blank with it, whatever your struggle sin is, whatever besetting sin that you have, and you do have one, and you probably have multiple ones. Uh, but uh, the scriptures are very clear that we need to uh, confess and to continue a lifestyle of repentance and not cover it up or say, uh, I refuse to give it up in pride, but it's it's a it, we can't wink at it, we can't tolerate it, we can't allow it in our lives. And so, if your prayers are consistently not being answered, uh, I would uh, highly recommend and counsel you to look at your life and to see if if that is a cause of unanswered prayers in your life. And uh, generally, that's going to be the cause. Many other verses. Uh, will will support uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart. If you'll look at Proverbs, uh, just for several in Proverbs, just to keep it easy, uh, look at Proverbs uh, uh, 28 and verse 9. Uh, this is going to be a verse that's going to tell us uh, that he hears the prayers of the righteous, those who are right before him and those who are not, he does not hear. Uh, look at Proverbs 28, verse 9. If you look at this scripture... Uh, 28 verse 9, uh, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. So that's just support for the Lord doesn't hear prayers of unrighteous people unless they, it's a call, unless it's a prayer for Lord have mercy upon me, a sinner. And let's look at, uh, again, uh, verse, uh, uh, Proverbs 15 verse 8, another verse that's going to support uh, the importance of, of holiness and right living for prayers to be answered. Look at 15.8 of, of Proverbs. The sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is God's delight. And then if you look at verse 29, same chapter, 15 Proverbs, 
it tells us that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So just to uh, let you examine yourselves this week, uh, how is your prayer life? Are your prayers answered? Are you praying in faith? Are you praying in his will? Are you praying with a life consistent and faithful and obedient to him? And just, just see where you are on that. And uh, only God knows your heart. And, and, and I pray that he would reveal that to you uh, if if you're out of whack, so to speak, in your in your lifestyle. So just think about any comments about that. That's going to be the first section that we're to be of one mind to each other. The doctrine that leads us to the imperative of arming yourselves and ceasing from sin. Any comments or questions about section one? Uh, I have a, a question. Uh, okay. And that is, we've been talking about blessing one another. But uh, the confusion comes when we're trying to bless those who are without Christ, are those who are refusing to... Uh, have a spirit-filled life. Uh, that's where the rub comes in for me, is knowing how I can effectively uh, pray and ask God to bring those that I love to a place where they can be blessed. Because actually what we're talking about is blessing because we are, are in Christ. Yes. But what about everybody else out there? How are we to share him in such a way that the Spirit of God will truly break in on that life and change a person? Tell me that. That's a, and you speak that out of a, out of a life that I know your life and I know who you're talking about, and you know who I'm talking about when I talk about my particular situation. Right. And we all have uh, children and grandchildren that are lost, and we have family members that are lost, and it's a great question. Uh, any any uh, support for this question? It is obviously a, uh, an un- unanswered, uh, an unhindered prayer life in our own regards so that our prayers can be answered, but it is... Uh, a lifestyle that will bring glory to Christ that would not be hypocritical. Uh, those who do, do not know Christ in our lives, the first thing they want to do is point out hypocrisy in our life. And if you've ever been around your lost ones, for it, they, they're going to bring up, that's why a prophet is not without honor within his own family. They know, uh, your, uh, your, uh, dark side, they know your sin and your past, and they're going to bring that up against you, and hypocrisy is 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 generally one of the first things that they're going to hit you with, right, Sally? And right, others that, that understand this. So we need to uh, to answer your question. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult question. Uh, one of the things we have to make sure is that our lives are consistent and not hypocritical. And they don't perceive in us that what we're telling them is not how we live our lives. Uh, that is certainly one way that we can bless them. Uh, we got to be very clear with the gospel and we can't compromise truth. Uh, it is easy, and I know some of you are hearing me, it is very easy 
to, because we want to be delicate, because we want to be uh, a blessing to them, it's, it's very easy and tempting to compromise truth to them. We want to equate with them and we want to, uh, we want to encourage them. And it's very easy sometimes. I know politically you're talking to lost folks or, or if you're talking to your lost family members, it's difficult. This is the difficult question. And I'm glad you asked this, Sally, but, uh, uh, we just make sure that we tell them the complete truth of God and we do it in love and we do it, uh, and we do it in a non-hypocritical way that our lives are con- consistent with which we're trying to teach them. And we do it in love and humility. Uh, we cannot come across as prideful. We cannot come across as angry. We cannot come across as impatient with them. We cannot look down our nose at them and, and give them the impression that we are better than them. We need them to understand it's grace. And so just some of the ways, Sally, that I have experienced in my life dealing with my lost ones. And I know you and Russell have done the same thing with your lost ones. And uh, uh, that may not be the the answer that we want to hear, but that's what we have. And in spirit of God must do it, right? His grace must do it. Mm-hmm. Any other comments? I know Sally's got something else to say. Well, no, I'm just saying that it's uh, uh, an agony. We have to be willing to agonize people. Yes. Um, and the fact and the truth is that a great chasm exists between a brother in Christ, not that, but one who's not a brother. Yes. And there's no way, there is no way you can crawl over that chasm. It has to be only by the Spirit of God. can change anybody. And um, it's, I, I think the thing is, we have to be, for me, I have to be willing to suck it up for another to the point of desperation. And it only reminds me of what the cost of my salvation took. Yes. And uh, it's just a hard road. We, we, it's, easy. it's easy to love the people at grace. It's easy. But it isn't easy when you don't get through with the unbeliever. And it's just been tough sometimes. Sorry. No problem. Anybody else have any comment? I can't see you. If you start speaking, I'll be able to see you. I have a a comment, Don. Uh, We have uh, problem children, problem grandchildren, and what comes across to me from the scripture that you've taught us here and other places is this love, serve, and obey uh, is the best example you can set forth to uh, whether they're lost or whether they're saved. And uh, that's where I see a lot of people, so-called Christians, uh, they get angry 
because somebody doesn't respond to them, but it's the Holy Spirit that causes that. We simply need to reflect Christ's life to the other people that we deal with. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Any other comments? I'm just going to say that uh, I'm going to go back to Sally's uh, conversation there where you have to just uh, eventually rest in knowing that the Father, as much as you love your family member who may be lost, you have to rest in the fact that you are not going to be a Try not to be a hypocrite and try to not return evil for evil and um, be tenderhearted and kind-hearted towards them. But at the end of the day, the Lord knows their heart. The Lord is going to save them. I'm not going to save them. My words may reflect my attitude towards and my contrite heart towards God. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign and he loves them more than you can ever love them. And that's where you're, that's where you can rest. As hard as we can try to try to be compassionate towards our loved ones, our family members or people, you have to rest in the fact that God is sovereign over all. And he has written their name in the book of life or he hasn't. And that's hard. That's hard when it's your, yes, it is, or your daughter, or your son, or your, and you have to rest in that. We are called soldiers for Christ, and we do our diligence to do that. But at the end of the day, it's only God that can change a man's heart, and that's where we have to rest. Absolutely. Absolutely, and there is no logic. There is no argument you can make. You speak the truth in love. You speak the word of God to them. And the Holy Spirit has to give that word life. And the Holy Spirit has to regenerate that heart. But we do not. We persist. We persist. We persist. And we do not ever give up. And once we pass away, we have we have others who pray for our family members. And, and, and that's what our rest is, that God is good. And uh, he hears our prayers. And so... Uh, uh, I, it's very emotional to many of us uh, as we see these difficult days, as we perceive that uh, the trumpet is about to sound, perhaps, and we are concerned about our lost ones. So I want to encourage us to reinvigorate yourself uh, in prayer and uh, in humbling yourself before God uh, for the salvation of our lost family friends. And uh, it's a very emotional subject, and I'm glad you brought it up, Sally. It's obviously very personal to you and Russell as it is to all of us who are in this room. We as elders pray for uh, a list of people every week, and the list of people in our church that have lost family members is staggering. Multiple family members. So uh, we must be burdened for them, and it, it begins with a, with a humble heart before our God. And I think uh, and uh, uh, this is a very pricking comment uh, that we should bless the lost and each other. So I appreciate that. Uh, Tom, the verse that came to my mind was in Psalm 51, and it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken, contrite spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. By your favor, 
do good to Zion. And I just think, you know, we have to plug our people's names in there for Zion because it's with a broken and contrite heart that we plead our burden to our God and that he hears, you know. And and our prayers are not going to go without being heard, but he has a purpose in all of it, you know. Excellent. Thank you, Sister Sheila. Anybody else? Very important, as we see these days in which we live, perilous times, uh, may God renew our burden for our lost family and friends. Yes. Any other comments about this? Don, I think patience is so important with that because, uh, I mean, my parents were married for 65 years, and my mother watered that for 40 years before God opened my dad's heart and grace. And I think sometimes maybe it's it would be difficult for some people to pray that long, but she never lost hope, and she always had patience. She, she kept kept watering, and God gave him the grace after a, a number of years. So. When you got a situation like that, sometimes it, it takes a lot of patience. Absolutely. Well, Good well, comment, Dan. Good comment. Anybody else? Yeah. We can excuse my voices failing me. That's okay, brother. The secret is in trusting the Lord. He is going to do it in his time. And we have to believe that and leave it in his hands. Not ours is his work through us, but we may not see the we may not see it in this right right that's right Don, I. I think a lot about that with several lost family members is what it means to be hidden in Christ and where you put the spotlight. Sometimes I like the spotlight, but I have to be really aware with my family, and I'm with my family a lot, is to be uh, focused on Christ. And it's not always in words. More times at being quiet and being a servant. And doing things that no one wants to do, being behind the scenes, where you're not getting noticed, but more like what you do puts the spotlight on someone else. And I know for me, I really have to pray and be conscious about that all the time that I'm with with these family members. Is Lord, I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to do this. And I think as the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Christ. It's sort of the same thing as you're just so dependent because sometimes your words are harmful. 
the more you say, the more damage it causes. So it's really hard. I remember I used to pray for our daughter is, Lord, if you're going to save her, save her. And if not, give me the grace to be able to accept it. Absolutely. Tough situation. Absolutely. Because we feel like in our flesh, in our flesh, we think we can, we got to fix this. We got to do this. You know, and we think in ourselves and we blame ourselves and we and we reflect back. This is autobiographical. We look back as parents and we think, if I'd have done this, if I'd have done that, if I'd have said this, if I wouldn't have done that. And so we have this uh, deep down inside, which is wrong, but we have this guilt. We have this we, we blame ourselves sometimes and we try to fix things and uh, and uh, and we try to do it in our own way and and. and and like Diane has said, like Sally said, like Russell's, uh, Rusty said, uh, it is in God's hands. He is the sovereign, but we are to have humble and contrite hearts, and we're not to give up in our prayers, and we're to persist in our prayers. And uh, I question sometimes whether I'm broken enough. And, uh, uh, and uh, that's one thing that the Holy Spirit can do in me is to break me more and to make yeah. me more contrite. Yeah. And, and uh uh, so uh, uh, may he do that in all of us, uh, that we would uh, mourn. Scripture tells us, blessed are those who mourn for the earth. This mourning is to, is to be sin sick over our own sin and sin sick over our lost family members. And, uh, and I don't think just personally that I am enough, and I'll confess that. And I, and I pray that God would work that in all of us, that we would be sin sick. As we see the effect on our society and in our families and our own heart, and uh, he's got to do that work in us. But uh, uh, excellent. Well, this is more important than uh, what we were going to talk about next, and I appreciate your emotion and uh, your hearts for your loved ones. And uh, so let's uh, – let's. does anybody have any other comments? Uh, it's 10 o'clock. Uh, and we're to go to, to meet in our services at 11. Uh, I've committed to close at 10. So anybody have any other comments? Uh, would anybody like to pray for us uh, about what we talked about as we close? If not, I will. Lord, we were feeble. We can do nothing without you. We must depend on you working through us. Not in your, not in our will, but yours. We commit our lives to you by submitting to your will and trusting you and thank you for Thank you for this time in your word. And we 
must recognize that our strength comes from the Lord. And if through the word of God. Amen. Amen. Would anybody else like to pray? Appreciate that, Russell. Father, give us broken hearts for our loved ones that we may be a blessing to them. Give us humble and contrite hearts. Give us burdens for our lost ones, our lost family, our lost world. Give us boldness to proclaim truth. Help us to do it in love. Help us to do it without hypocrisy. Help us to do without, help us to do it without prejudice, without haughtiness, without uh, any pride in ourselves as Russell has already prayed, but knowing that you are the author, the finisher of salvation, that you will gather your sheep up and not one of your sheep will be lost. And we do not know who your sheep are, but we are to speak the truth and love to every opportunity we have. And we trust you for the results. Thank you that you're sovereign. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that you are good. Uh, we rest in you and we hope in you. Uh, cause us to be faithful in our own lives so that we would not be a hindrance to anyone we minister to in any which way we minister to them. And we pray these things in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.